Uh, I want to greet the, the Jubak family on the east side of the state. I know you guys couldn't make it here for baptism and all of that. I'm sorry about the weather. Wish I could have changed it for you, but um, we're glad you're able to join us. If you're still watching, great. We'd love you to, to, to continue on. We'll be about another 25, maybe, maybe, maybe 28 minutes. But uh, everyone else that's watching online, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you with us and hoping that if you're not someone who's reg- who attends here regularly, that you will, if you're ever in the area or if you live in the area, come see us in person. We'd love to meet you. Um, to the rest of you, welcome. That's the first time when we're trying to do all four uh, in, one, in one morning that I didn't actually make it in here with time to spare. Uh, I am going to ask the band, if you guys are still in the room, they're probably in the back there, that at the end of the message, if you guys could come back up and do one more song, even if we redo the song we just did, uh, I think we'll have time for it. Um, today, we're going to be in, we're going to start in Hebrews 12. Then we're going to run over to Matthew 6, and I did warn those of you in advance, and I say that with tongue-in-cheek because this is really, it's really something God wants, he thinks is important, uh, that today we're going to talk about money. Last week we talked about Abel, Cain and Abel, and the kind of offerings that they gave. We'll tie that in this week, but we're going to talk about it because Jesus talked about it. In fact, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels. They're the three Gospels that line up closest to each other in their order and the different stories John tells the story a little bit differently, but in, in, in those three gospels of the 29 parables that Jesus tells, 16 of them are about money and our relationship to it. Jesus in the New Testament talks more about money than he does about love. And we love to talk about love, but we don't like to talk about money. But Jesus finds it important. And when we, and we people will argue sometimes that, that uh, well, Jesus didn't talk about tithe. You know, if you think he would talk, tithe means tenth. He doesn't talk about a tenth of your income going. Um, well, but so, so it, 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 it's an Old Testament concept. And I just want to remind everybody that Jesus is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that all of the scriptures, he is the author of. Not just the things he spoke to when he was walking the earth, but all of the history of God's word with his people. So I don't want you to put your defenses up because this is not guilt-based. It's not shame-based. It's just showing you the reason God has set things up that money has its proper place in our lives and not the primary place in our lives. We're going to start with uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews, and it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that cloud of witnesses is anyone who's ever lived and is no longer living in flesh, anyone who's ever lived that had faith in Christ. So in, in Hebrews 11, we hear about um, the heroes of the faith that came before Jesus did, but their actions, their faith was attributed to them as righteousness because of what Christ did on the cross. So kind of backwards. But he's not just talking about it. He's talking about your, your parents, your grandparents, the people that have served the Lord in the past, all the people of the Reformation, all the people of the one true church before that, all the, all, all, everyone, everyone who's ever lived faithfully in relationship to God saying, your will, not mine, and receiving the redemption of Christ that he offers on the cross, that's the great cloud of witnesses. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders And the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And let us, and I know this one word will be a little bit different here, let us consider him who endured such hardship opposition up there from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Let us, let us, let us, let us, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that entangles. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. What's the joy set before him? You've heard me say this to you before. The joy set before him, the reason Jesus was willing to give up everything that he gave up is for you. You are the joy set before him. You are the joy set before him that he endured the cross for. But sometimes we don't realize how much he gave up. Sometimes we don't understand what God was willing to do to the lengths he was willing to go. We, we look at that and we go, okay, when Jesus was a man, he was born a baby and then he walked and he talked and he knew what he loved and, and, he, and he did some miracles and he healed some people and then the people that he loved the most killed him and then he died, he went to hell, he resurrected from the dead and he went to the Father. We go, yeah, that's a lot. That's a big deal and it is. But before he was ever born or as he was being born, he gave up something that we don't think about. Remember in, in Philippians when it tells us that um, that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, everything that the Godhead is, Jesus is, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, that's a pretty big step from the Godhead to humanity. So it's quite a, quite a trip down the ladder. But so when God, the Son, became human, he gave up his glory and when he died, when he was on the cross and he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time in the New Testament where Jesus refers to God as God and not as Father is when he cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he gave up his glory. He gave up the relationship with his Father. And the Holy One of all, of, of all existence, of the one who was never born, the one who was pure and holy, set apart from all others, went to hell. So he gave up his omnipresence. That means he was no longer everywhere all the time. He gave up his omniscience. That means he knows everything, everything there is to know all at one time. And he gave up his omnipotence, all-powerful. For the joy set before him. And the joy set before him, you. We know that God gave himself because it starts off in script. Two things in scripture right away at the beginning of the gospels. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's a giver. For God loved you so much that he gave himself. And whoever hangs on to him, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We're also told the very beginning of the gospel that glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to humanity, on whom God's favor rests. You're his favorite. He was willing to give up everything so it doesn't cost you anything. That's God's design. That's God's will. That's God's desire. 
Now, last week we briefly talked about, and we have been doing a little bit of this more, a little bit more of this in, when we're going through the gospel according to Matthew, but that whole sacrificial system. Remember when Cain and Abel decided to bring an offering to God, and Abel brought some from the fields, but, but, but Abel, did I say that wrong? Cain brought some, Abel brought the firstborn and the fatty parts, and he gave it to God. And we, we asked this question last week, does God need a dead animal? I mean, what God, what's God going to do with it? I mean, there are times in Scripture where he comes down and he consumes it with fire, but, but does it really nurture God? Does it nourish God? Does God need nourishment from dead animals that he created? Of course not. He doesn't need that. There were four animals, four types of animals, or five, dove, pigeon, cow, goat, sheep. For all of history in the temple worship, those were the things that people were asked to bring and slaughter and give to God. God doesn't need goats, cows, sheep, doves, or pigeons. He's God. So why would he ask us to bring those things to him for for millennia? He doesn't need them, but we think we do. And so he says to us, trust me by bringing to me the first I provide for you. Every good thing comes from the Lord. I provide for you. I give this to you. I gave you the talent so that you can work, so that you can make the resources. And and, and so the firstborn of your flock says that I provided, and that's your future. So I want you to take your future and entrust it to me. And every time you do that, you're saying, I trust you, God. Then his response is, I'm going to continue to be faithful to you. Here's an example. More modern day terminology, but not for some of you. Some of you don't know what it means to prime a pump. You probably never, anyone here ever had to prime a big hand pump? Right? Now, I mean, if, you, if you're an engineer, I'm not going to get this perfect, but just to give most people an idea what this means. Inside of a pump is a little gasket that creates a seal that creates the vacuum that pulls the water up. So when you do this, it's like a piston. And something has to push it down and something has to give it the ability to draw the water back up. If that gasket gets dry, it can't create a seal and it pulls no water up. So keep that in mind. I'm going to give you this illustration. Then we'll get to Matthew. Let's say, old, old story, but let's say that you're dying of thirst and you've been abandoned or or got lost in the desert. And you're, you're literally crawling, cracked lips, you try to swallow and it sticks on your throat. You know how that gets? You got cotton mouth, something awful, and you're sunburned and you're, you're pretty sure you're going to die. And as you, you're crawling along, you look and you see a pipe and you look up and it looks like one of those big hand, those hand pumps, a well of water. And inside of a little box right next to it, you open it up and there's a glass of water, just as clean as it can be. And so what do you want to do? You're dying of thirst? I'm going to drink the water. That's fine. You're going to satiate the thirst that you have. I get it. But on that glass, on that box, it says this, from the owner of the property on which the well sits, you are welcome to all the water. You drink your fill, provide for yourself for the rest of your journey. That's all fine. But I ask one thing, that you first prime the pump, pour the water down it, then pump, have your fill, and then fill up the glass for the next traveler to come along. Now, there's a lot of wisdom in that. The owner gives instruction that says, here's what's best. Take the glass that's full that I've provided for you, pour it down the pump, 
And then as you pump, water will come up and you can have all you need. You can fill up your Nalgene water bottles and all that kind of stuff and take off on your way. You're all good. Now, there's wisdom in that, but there's risk. Because if I take that glass of water and I pour it down and that gasket is rotten and dry and will never make a seal again, I've just sealed myself to a death by thirst. That's what God means with the sacrificial system. That's what God means when he talks over and over and over and over and over again about money in the New Testament. He's saying, trust me. You'll have more than you thought you would if you'll give to me first. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and following, it reads like this. Do not, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then it seems like he switches gears here, but he's not. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is one of those times. This isn't a parable. This is just a teaching. I think it's pretty clear. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You can't serve God and money. So why does he talk about the eyes, the window to the soul, that kind of stuff? Because he knows that we are people that look to make our lives easier, to make our lives better, and to be able to show people just how hashtag blessed we are. We want to be our own little gods. We want to satisfy our own needs instead of first trusting God to continue to provide for us. We want to drink the glass of water instead of prime the pump with it. So he says, you're always looking for something. Make sure you're looking out the right way. Where's your heart? Because that's where your treasure is. Where's your treasure? Because that's where your heart is. And we're going to talk about a couple of things with money here for a second. And I'm going to just bring up some, some things that will help, hopefully help illustrate that point. What's the place in your life that you're willing to spend money on without having to justify it at all? And then where's the place in your life where it's like pulling teeth to get you to do it, and you always have a reason to make it less than it is. Here's an example. Tithing in the church. Well, the scripture says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. And so I'm not going to give money off of my gross. I'm going to give it off my net, because the gross, the taxes, they're Caesar's. They were never mine to begin with. So I give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and I give to God what is God's. Okay. You're trying pretty hard. I get it. But remember how Jesus did that thing. He said, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Where is God's image? On us. So what was Jesus saying? 
He was saying, sure, pay your taxes, but I want all of you. Sometimes we say, I give my talent, so my money's mine. I give my, my, my resources, so my money's mine. I give that, or, or, you know, my time, talent, volunteerism, all, the, all these, these are good things. They're all good things. But you show me in scripture where God separates the resources that I've earned, the resources that God gave me, my talents and gifts, and the eyes that I have for other people. Should I have eyes for other people that I only help people that I think are going to appreciate it? Should I have the idea that, they, that if God has given me talents, that they're mine? If they've been given, they can be taken away. And according to the scriptures, what's mine isn't really mine. It all belongs to God. It's all come from him. So where's your treasure? I'm going to tell you where mine is, and it's embarrassing. And some of you will immediately go and find some elders and say to cut my salary because I'm spending my money unwisely. Every year it seems that I find it necessary. Actually, I, I, I end up saying it's kind of a need of replacing, although I don't seem to get rid of the old ones, at least one, probably two, bait casting rods and bait casting reels. I'm going to spend, you put it all together. Now I had coupons this year, gift certificates, but probably about $300 per set. And those are pretty reasonably priced compared to some. I have more tackle than I, I don't want to add it up. I don't want you to know how much money I'm willing to spend to outsmart an animal with a brain the size of a pea. But every year I look forward to it. And every year, and it's one, of the, it's one of the few things that I just love to do. And so if I have the money, now I save for it. It's not like I, I throw away money that we'd be doing on something else. But I save for it. But when, when it comes time to buy it, I never have any guilt. I never feel weird about it. Because it's, here's, here's how I rationalize it. It's the one thing that I do for me. Some of you, it's other things. For some people, it's health and body image and gym memberships. For some, it's I don't believe in medicine, so I'm going to give my, my, myself over to kinesiology and, and dietary supplements and, 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 and all that and homeopathy. and Fine, I get nothing against it. Um, others, it's, it's uh, vacation homes and, 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 and storing up stuff. And, and it, well, I have a boat here, but I need a boat in Florida, so I'm going to have a boat in each place and, uh, because I wouldn't want to have to move it. Um, and I get it. Those are all good things. Nothing wrong with them. For some, it's about saving. I'm not going to spend any money here because I want to leave a legacy for my children. It's all fine. What I'm asking you to do as I'm being honest with you is you be honest with yourself. Where's the area in your life that you don't have to convince yourself to put your money? Because that's where your treasure is. And that's where your heart is. And then ask yourself this question. Is that where God wants my heart and treasure. And if it's not, make some adjustments. I'm not asking you to give more money to this church today. I'm asking you to see if God's way might be the right way. See, the first that you get, you prime the pump. The scripture says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, mind and strength. 
Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And see, we, what we do is we say that and we flip it upside down. And we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love myself with everything that I have. And I'm going to love my neighbor however I can. And I'm going to love God whatever I want. It's upside down. And honestly, the whole world suffers because we've distorted God's design. See, we're more willing to look around and see how we might provide for ourselves than we are to trust the one who provides. We're, we're more willing often to, to, to trust in our own creation than to trust the one who created things out of nothing. If Jesus is willing to talk more about money than love, it's because he knows us and we have a natural desire to flip things upside down. We have a natural desire to be Cain instead of Abel. We want to give God some instead of give to God first. If you feel guilty, that is not my intent, but it might tell you that there's some business you need to do with God. If you feel shame, it's not my intent, but it might tell you that there's some business you need to do with God. Where your treasure is, your heart is. You cannot give, you can't serve both God and money. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders. And money's one of them. And sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race God marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Knowing that we're the joy set before him, that he was willing to endure the cross, scorning at shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's consider him and all he suffered so that we won't go weary and lose heart. One of the reasons our culture has such a bad view of the church. I'll give you an example. Here's an easy way of putting it. You guys remember the name, Mah I, I want to say oh, Gandhi, but Mahat was it Mahatma? Mahatma Gandhi. You guys remember that name, Gandhi, the, the, the um, hunger strike and all that? When he came to the States, he was in Manhattan, and he stayed in a hotel, and in the hotel was a Gideon Bible, and he read the New Testament. And someone asked him, well, what do you think of, what do you think of Christianity? He goes, oh, I love your Christ but I can't stand your Christians. <laughs> Never have a group of people that claim to follow a man resembled him so little. And one of the ways we resemble him little is our willingness to give for someone else's benefit. See, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense the expense was great, and he bought and paid for you. And what does he ask in return? Everything and nothing. There's nothing that you have to do except receive the grace that God has given you and trust him by every time he provides with you for you a glass of water, metaphorically speaking, prime the pump. Every time you pour that cup of water down that well, you're storing up riches in heaven and not here. I pray that sits, I pray it sits well, and I pray it becomes part of you. So today, 
when the toothpaste hits the toothbrush, when your head hits the pillow, if you haven't done it by then, ask God, God, where is my treasure? Because that's where my heart is. And if it's not where God wants it, then I promise you it's really not where you want it either. Make some adjustments and then trust God. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that you're almighty and that you're God and we're not. I pray that you give us the courage to flip our world back right side up and love you with everything, then love others with everything, and then love ourselves. It is a hard and difficult and frustrating and angering thing that unimportant things seem to become so important so easily. Thank you for your perpetual reminder, and thank you that we are the joy that was set before you, that you were willing to endure all things for. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just like God didn't need dead cows, lambs, goats, doves, pigeons, he doesn't need money either. And you don't need money the way you think you do. You need God the way God, the way God knows. You need, you need God the way God says. You need God, and that's what you crave most, you just don't always know it. You need God the way God wants you to need him. Store up treasures there. He doesn't need your money, but you need to prime the pump. It doesn't do him any good. It's for your benefit. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you, smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ. Shine.